0: Welcome to the Providence Church Podcast. For more Providence Church, visit us online at provchurch.net. That's p-r-o-v-church.net. Let's get into it. I was 12 years old and I was at my, we lived in an apartment. It was a pretty dingy, not very nice apartment on the north shore of Boston. And, um, and my stepfather was, uh, cleaning out a closet and he, came across these firecrackers. You know what a firecracker is, right? Fourth of July, you light it, little thing about that big, and it, And uh, he's gonna throw them away. I said, well, I'll take them. He's like, yeah, they don't work. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, you can't light them. You try to light it, they, ju- they just won't light. So I'm like, can I have them? He's like, sure, I'm gonna get these things lit. So I go over to the window in the kitchen and open the window, second floor. And um, I'm trying to light this, this uh, firecracker. I couldn't get the thing to light. He's like, ah, he's right. Well, you know what? I'll t- I have a better idea. So I walked over to the gas stove, and I turn it on. I'm 12 years old now. I have a little bit of sympathy here. And I, I, I'm holding this thing, and I'm holding it. It's not like all of a sudden. <laughs> so I look, and I throw it over to the window. And it heads out, and I'm watching it like slow motion, and it lands right on my mom's brand new curtain. She just made it. My aunt and her. We had nothing. We, like I said, we were very poor, and so she finally has these nice curtains. And this firecracker it goes sailing through the air and lands right on it, and boom! And a hole about that big was in the was in the uh, in the curtain. And my mom was downstairs hanging clothes in the backyard on the, on the clothesline, so I had to go down and tell my mother what had happened. How do you explain that? And the, I went down there, and she was so merciful to me. And you know, if you've raised a 12-year-old boy, you know how tenuous that situation was. This could have been the final straw where I was actually killed, right? Over and over, I've raised girls, and they have their issues, but little boys come up with interesting ways to test your patience. Throwing a firecracker, could you imagine that as a scenario? We're gonna make a rule in our house, kids. No firecrackers in the house. You wouldn't even think to say that. And my mom was very gracious to me and I remember asking her years later what was going through her mind. <laughs> and she said to me, among other things, you were more important to me than that curtain. And I thought, wow. And I determined from that point on that I want people to be more important to me than things. And, and, and advice I give young parents, I give the same piece of advice whenever I can. Imagine your favorite thing. Imagine, maybe it's a golf club. You just got this brand new golf club. Maybe it's uh, some records. We used to call them records, right? Maybe it's a new stereo. It's something, a TV. Imagine going to work and coming home and your kid broke it. Think of that because something like that is bound to happen. I gave that advice to a friend, and years later, he came to me. He remembered it. And he was so thankful that he acted in the way. But it's merciful. And God, we're going to talk today, this is one of our core values. It's to be merciful, right? We are to love people when it's hard. And sometimes it's very hard to love people. It's almost impossible. And God calls us to love. In fact, it's to love people, and it's a core value of this church, this is something that's very important to us. Let's take a moment and pray that God helps us. Father, thank you for um, this concept of mercy. And as you've shown in your word, it's, it's, it's profound and it's necessary. I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to his church here at Providence in New Providence, Pennsylvania. We pray, Lord, for that those ears and a heart to receive, in Jesus' name, Amen. In Matthew, so so actually, what we're going to do, we're going to talk about today what mercy is and what it looks like, the fact that God is merciful to us, and then our call to be merciful. Let's open, if you would, uh, to Matthew nine thirteen. Uh, you can take a peek at this. Um, it's Jesus called to Matthew, and Beginning in the ninth verse, Jesus nine thirteen is the thirteen is is the the main text. But if you back up to the ninth verse, Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, "Follow me," and he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he being Jesus, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's the case. That's the conundrum. That's the peace that we're up against. It's easy to have mercy on people that really don't need much mercy. It's easier to have love and uh, affection toward people that are easy to love. But what's difficult is when people are unlovable or apparently or seemingly I remember as a as a young boy, a young man up at Fairwood Bible Institute, we watched this uh, or listened to this uh, Tony Campolo. We all knew Tony Campalo is, right. He uh, it was a tape, a sermon of his. Uh, he was the uh, head of sociology department at Eastern University, um, and he preached this sermon called "It's Friday, but Sunday's Coming." It's a It's a, a very uh, classic sermon. Uh, in it, though, he tells the story of this very, very poor family, and uh, the father died, and they had just a little bit of money, and so the boy came across this investment plan that can't fail. Mom, give me the money, and I'm going to invest it, and we're going to have a lot of money. It, it's 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 our ship. Our ship will come in, and she was hesitant. And the sister was against it, and the mother wasn't too sure, but he was so positive, so she gave him the money. And as the story goes, he lost every penny of it. And he had to come home and tell his mom and his sister, and that's a little bit worse than a firecracker breaking a, or damaging a curtain. And the sister was incensed. She was so mad. And she starts in on him, and you put the family through misery and trial, and the mother scolded the sister and said, what are you doing? This boy needs our love right now. He's failed. He's broken. It's easy to love people when they do good to you, but how about when people do rotten to you? How hard is that? Haven't I taught you anything? And that, that, that rang through my mind. It's easy to love lovable people. And that's not how God loves. What is mercy? Mercy is the opposite. It's our first point. It's, a, it's the opposite of an eye for an eye. An eye for an eye, it's if you do this... Or if you wrong me, you're going to be punished accordingly. Mercy doesn't look at life that way. Daniel Webster defines mercy this way. The benevolent mildness or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. It is the disposition that tempers judgment and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and full forbear punishment or inflict less than the law or justice will warrant. See, it's not an eye for an eye. It's not proportionate. Sometimes it's completely forgiving, Sometimes it's modifying, but it's always less than the law or justice warrants. Webster uh, continues, and he comments saying, In this sense, there's perhaps no word in our language precisely synonymous with mercy. That which comes nearest to it is grace. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity, or compassion and clemency, but exercised only toward offenders. Mercy is a distinguished attribute of the supreme being. Millard Erickson writes, if grace contemplates humans as sinful, guilty, and condemned, then mercy sees them as miserable and needy. Now, I want to say here, mercy is not sweeping something under the rug. That's lazy. That's that ostrich thing where we stick our head in the sand and we pretend the situation isn't the way it is. Mercy doesn't do that. It looks at it head on. But what we're saying is that people are more important than justice. And when we can truly say this, we can genuinely emphasize, empathize with the guilty, then mercy is followed up by forgiveness. Get that? Until we can really understand and empathize, there's really no way that we can forgive in the way that God wants us to forgive. Mercy is the first step in the process of restoration. Mercy always leads to costing something. True mercy is when the injured party becomes inclined to make a provision. God is merciful, and boy, it did cost him, didn't it? It cost him his son dying on the cross to make provision for our sins. His mercy, his pity is the motivation, the impetus for his grace, an act of un deserved favor. And we get a great glimpse of God's mercy as we read in the Exodus account, uh, a story that we know. God speaks to Moses out of a burning brush, and remember what he said? He said, I surely have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of a land that is good and a broad land flowing with milk and honey. God looks at you. He looks at me, and he sees us. That's mercy. He really sees us. He sees the flesh, that Adamic nature, and it's not pretty. He sees brokenness. He sees hurt. He sees lust. He sees enslavement to sin. He sees destruction. He sees the misery, and it evokes his mercy. Just like with the Israelites enslaved in Egypt, God's mercy precipitates action. God saw the Israelites. He sent Moses. God saw our need, our misery. He sent Jesus. I wrote here, mercy is extended to preserve the relationship, or in the case of God's mercy toward us, to actually establish the relationship. Forgiveness always begins with mercy. So what does it look like? What is it, how, how do we how do we experience this? First thing we have to understand is that God is merciful, He doesn't just act mercifully. He is merciful. So that's why we call it an attribute of God. When we say that God is powerful, we don't say that God is the biggest and baddest and strongest of us. That's not what we're saying. We say that he is powerful. We're saying he's all-powerful. We use the term omni- uh, omnipotent, Omni. He's all-powerful. All-power emanates from God, even the sun itself, the energy, the power of the sun emanates from God. every bit of power that is God. And this likewise, mercy. mercy isn't just something that he does. God is merciful. It's an essence of who He is. It exudes out of him. All mercy is derived from God. What does it look like? Well, in Matthew 9, 35 through 37, you can follow along here if you want to, Matthew 9, 35 through 37. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. That's mercy. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That's what it looks like. He saw the crowds, and we're going to come back to that, and we'll, we'll dissect that a little bit further later on. But this is what else it looks like. Matthew 23, 37, you can turn. I'm just going to read a few of these verses if you want. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it how often would i have gathered you and your children together as a hen gathers her broad under her wings and you were not willing anytime the bible puts uh, two repeats itself oh jerusalem oh jerusalem that is an emphasis there's a passion there is something that is visceral oh jerusalem jerusalem that's what he said. He is, his heart is inclined. How often would I gather you? And that's God's heart toward us. That's what mercy looks like. It's inclined. It desires to do something. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Gracious. This is what mercy looks like. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion or mercy to his children, so the Lord shows mercy to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He knows how pitiable we are. And he remembers that we are dust. One of the things I like to tell my cho- my grandchildren, I've told my kids this too, but I love to tell my grandchildren this, I love you all the way to the moon and back. I love you all the way to the moon and back. Yeah, Grandpa, I love you too. I love you all. You know what? God loves you all the way to the moon and back. Right there in Psalms. So the book is, he, he, he says this, Psalm 50, um, 57, 9. I will praise you among, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens. His mercy goes all the way to the moon. It goes further. Every now and then, like, Raylan would say, well, I love you all the way to Pluto and back. What? That's crazy. Yep, God loves you all the way to Pluto. All the way to the heavens, his mercy goes. That's what he says to his children. He's abundant, Psalm 86 says. He's abundant in mercy to all who call upon him. You need mercy, call to God is what he says because he is abundant. He doesn't run out. And that's the point. If we want to extend mercy and we're called to, and that that's what this... Uh, um, What we're talking about here is our our core value. We are to love people even when it's hard, right? That's at the core value. We're to love people even when it's hard. Well, we need to know what that feels like ourselves. The motivating force of God's grace to the elect is mercy. That's our third point. It's the motivating force, The Younger Bible Dictionary puts it this way, mercy is the compassion of God that moved him to provide a savior for the unsaved. Remember Millard Erickson's definition? He he, identifies with the miserable, this, this mercy, the miserable and the needy. We need to see ourselves that way. Without Christ, we're miserable and needy. As nice as we can and, 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 and fix ourselves up and present ourselves at our core, in our heart, there's a miserableness, there's a neediness that God needs to get at, and He will. He feels for us. He pities us. We don't like that feel of pity. We don't like to be pitied. Don't pity me. I can take care of myself. You can't. Neither can I. This is one of those places where God's pity is necessary for us. But we have to see ourselves that way. Experience the mercy of God is the impetus for our extending mercy to others. God looked down and saw the Egyptians. He sent Moses, right? We said that. God looked down and saw our misery. He sent Jesus. There's absolutely no way we can extend mercy if we don't receive it first. God's mercy, we have to understand, has been directed to you specifically, to me. But put your name in there. I love it, Isaiah. He says, but now thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and that's us, We're, O Jacob, we're Israel, we're the the spiritual Israel. He who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And though the rivers, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. It's interesting when the writers of the uh, New Testament, the epistles, the letters, whether it be Peter or James or Paul... uh, When they speak of mercy, they often talk about it, they juxtapose it, they put it alongside of the forgiveness of God. So when we want to understand just how merciful God has been to us, a great place to look is Ephesians, the second chapter. Right there at the beginning, he says, and you were, what, dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now in the work is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out desires of the body and mind And we're by nature children of wrath. That's that word, nature. That could be flesh. It's the Adamic nature. It's that sinful thing that we all inherited. Like the rest of mankind. And here's the verse. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith faith. And this is not of your own doing. You didn't keep enough commandments. You didn't do enough good things. No, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship. And if you skip down uh, to the 12th verse, he says that um, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel It means we were out in strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope. Pastor Dwight just talked about hope last week. Having no hope and without God in the world, this is us. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. God being rich, in mercy. So he paints this serious picture. We were far from God, without hope, alienated by our sins. We were miserable, wretched, every one of us. Titus, he writes a letter to Titus. He says, We were. Once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, having hated one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Do we get the picture? If we're going to talk about mercy, we have to understand we have been inundated with tremendous amounts, riches, great mercy, not just a little bit. This cost Jesus a lot, and we've benefited from that in a way that is just amazing. And so we're called be merciful to others. And if we do not understand mercy, we're going to have a hard time uh, that we've received. We're going to have a hard time extending mercy. It's, It's super important. I wrote down here, once we have truly embraced the mercy of God, it's only natural that we should extend mercy to others. Mercy truly received your fourth point always results in mercy given. We talk about different types of um, attributes. Uh, there's communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. And what that basically is saying, there's certain attributes of God that we can't, we, we can't be omnipotent, it's just by definition. We can be powerful, but we can't be all powerful. There's only one, God. We can't be all merciful, God, but he wants us to be merciful. That's a communicable attribute. God himself causes us and wants us to be merciful. Richard Lent writes, the communicable attributes of God serve as a reminder that we are different than God. God has created humans to reflect him in some respect. And those are the communicable attributes. We are to reflect God. God doesn't, doesn't speak to people directly in the sense that uh, is enough for them to, to come to Christ. He uses people. He uses preaching. He uses his written word but you and I are a part of his plan for people to come into contact with the mercy of God. And it begins with those closest to us. We all have family members or friends or somebody that have hurt us deeply. We don't sweep it under the rug. God doesn't do that. But we communicate mercy, forgiveness always, begins with mercy. When we receive mercy and forgiveness, we extend mercy and forgiveness. If we are unable to be merciful to others, it begs the question, have we truly received the mercy and forgiveness God is extending to us? I think that's a legitimate question. Jesus said, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. I don't think he's up there going, if you won't do it, then I'm not doing it. I don't think it's possible. I think that's what he's saying. You want to feel the forgiveness of God? You forgive other people. Peter comes up to him and says, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. This isn't a math problem. This isn't 490 times he's saying. We forgive again and again and again. I was listening to a sermon by R.C. Sproul a while back. He says, we forgive this way. All right, I forgive you. And then they do it again to us. We're like, oh, here we go again. That's not how God forgives. God forgives. What did we read in the Psalms? He puts our sins from the east, as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? And doesn't remember them anymore. And he'll forgive us again. Have you battled sin? And then you have to go to God and say, I'm sorry. And then, I'm sorry. How many times? He does. It's endless. Keep going back. Whatever that battle is, never stop. He's merciful. That's the access that we have. And then we have this great story. He goes into this parable about this man. He's rich, super rich. and he lent this guy billions of dollars, literally. That's the way Jesus tells this stories story. Uh, billions of dollars. And he's, all right, Time to We're going to pay all the debts. And this guy falls up. He's got, he's got no money. He's like, oh, have mercy on me. Give me a little more time. Just give me a little more time. And the, and the, and the, um, the, the rich king said, had mercy on him. He pitied him. He said, sure. You know what I'm going to do? I'm not even just going to give you more time. I'm going to erase the debt. I'm going to erase the debt. What an amazing, t- what? This guy didn't believe it. You know how we know? Because the first thing he did is he goes out and he starts shaking down the people that owe him money. And he throws them in jail and has no mercy. He still thinks, if I just have a little more time, I'm gonna get it done. And we do the same thing. Oh, Jesus, you forgave me, great. And then we go at this thing as if it depends on us. A little more time, and I'll get this sin taken care of. A little more time, and I'll overcome this this temptation. Just give me a little more time. And that's not what he's asking for. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you, the text reads? when we don't forgive people, when we don't have mercy on them, that's what he's saying to us. Shouldn't you have mercy? I had all this mercy on you. We can't imagine that we were wounded any greater than God. Talks about... Loving your neighbor. What about loving your enemy? I say, this is the Lord, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. One version says, who despitefully use you. There's meanness, there's malice. Those who despitefully use you. He doesn't say go have lunch with them. He says pray for them. Genuinely pray. Somebody one time said something very horrible to me, and I made the mistake of telling my wife, and she hated that person, as close as you can come to it. And and we worked that, and I said, Lisa, we can't do that. We can't do that. And she decided to take that Bible verse seriously and begin praying for that person. God brought that person back into our lives. And that person is a very beloved person that we deal with all the time. We don't know what God's plan is for people. This is what he says. And when we do that, you will be like your father who is in heaven. I want to be like my dad. Well, you know what? You want to be like your dad? Then start praying for people who despitefully use you. Matthew 9, we'll go back to that. And Jesus went throughout all the cities. This is what it looks like. What do we do? How do we engage? All right? This is what God does. We, this is a lot of talk, right? So how do we engage? How do we put this into practice? We have to believe. We have to understand what it is and that it was extended to us. All right, now what do we do? How do we minister to people? It says that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and in in proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, in healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion, mercy for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, so, the first thing we do is we go. That's the Great Commission, too, right? Go ye into all the world. Well, you know what? Go into the marketplace. That's what Paul did. Paul went into the marketplace. We do. We go in. What does that look like? You know, it's not enough to see people from afar, we got to get right in there with them, we got to inter- interact. might mean rubbing shoulders with your neighbors, those f- fleshly neighbors, those uncouth neighbors. That's right. It might mean joining a sports league. I joined a hockey team many, many years ago. I remember our pastor up in Massachusetts, Pastor John Paul, um, he joined a, the, they throw the beanbags there, what do they call it? Cornhole, the cornhole thing. Right. He probably, uh, you don't call them beanbags probably, but whatever. He's throwing, you know, and to the point where he plays professional ones now. He's that good. He got that good at it. And he's had to share, he's had opportunity to share the gospel over and over and over again. I joined a hockey league many, many years ago and I went and I, I, so I, I wanted to associate with these guys, but I didn't. I remember we won the cup, the championship, big, huge cup, and they poured the, 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 uh, the champagne, in, and I had to get out of there as quickly as I could. I didn't want to be sound. Sinners? And I, a fellow came up to me and says, I know what you're trying to do, but that's what you're telling these people is that you think you're better than they are. So I went to my pastor, and I told him, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to be with these guys. And so I did. And... It took me eight years of skating. I've led two of them to Christ, at least, and many others. I had one guy tell me, Charlie, I don't go to your church, but we consider ourselves part of your flock. I'm like, that's cool. So there's a goodness, there's, a, there's Christ, there's mercy, there's access that wouldn't have happened. We have to see them. Remember God, He saw the misery of the children of Israel in Egypt. And when Jesus saw them in verse 36 of this passage, he had compassion on them. We're not gonna see them unless we're around them. These people like you and me, they're floundering about. They're like sheep without a shepherd. But we have to see them. And then mercy acknowledges the problem verse 36 because they were harassed and helpless these particular people were being harassed they were uh, they were being taxed into oblivion the, the 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 people that are complaining about Jesus right they're taking advantage of these people too they're part of what was called the retainer class so about 5% of the people, roughly 5 6%, had substantial wealth. 94 to 95 were in abject poverty, and it wasn't because they weren't good at farming. They were taxed so heavily that many of them starved. They were helpless. They were harassed. They were exploited and there was nothing they could do about it. And God wants us to extend mercy in our day and do something about it. What did Jesus do? Look at verse 35. He taught, he taught in the synagogues. We have answers, people. There's something that we can teach. Now, maybe you're not a teacher. You know what you can do? You can invite him to church. But it starts with us telling people about the mercy God extended to us. And it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to know a bunch of religious words. You can tell people, I've been where you are. And God, in his mercy, has saved me. Why don't you come? Start inviting people to church. You gotta do a lot. I invite people all the time. And I don't know. How successful? I don't care. I'm not stopping. Don't get discouraged. It says in this passage here. It says that Jesus reclined at table, and uh, and many of the tax collectors and sinners came and were so they actually came to Jesus. Sometimes the market comes to us, but I guarantee you, Matthew invited them. So, the Pharisees had some good reasons why they couldn't, uh, why, why they couldn't mingle with these lesser,s these sinners. They 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 had they thought of they, they, one of the things that um, is that um, these tax collectors themselves were traitors. Did you know that they extorted excessive amounts of money from the people they collected taxes from. So they were in league with Rome in, in, in this horrible situation. So we have these people who are guilty and clearly guilty. And we look around us and we, well, that's why you're in that spot. If it only hadn't done the wrong things, right? That's what we say. It didn't stop Jesus He didn't look at the sin ledger and try to figure out, are they worthy of mercy? He extended mercy on these wretched, horrible people. They were horrible people. And another reason is the Mishnah, which is rabbinical writings, explaining what the Torah, the first five books of the the Old Testament, this Mishnah, these rabbinical writings, they, they, they wanted to put a fence around the law. That's how they described it. They wanted to put a fence. And how do you do that? We have to stay separate or else we'll get contaminated and then our children will fall away from following God. We didn't want them to drift. How often do we avoid sinners because we want to maintain a pure religion? And they lastly, they didn't want to appear as though they condoned it. Oh, it's okay. It doesn't matter that you're stealing from our country, people. You're extorting money. It's okay. That's not what they wanted to be seen as doing. Jesus didn't seem to be worried about that. I don't think there was any misunderstanding. Certainly, Jesus was not compromising. You know, I remember years ago, I was at a party and it started to get out of hand. So I'm like, I don't need to be here. So as I started to leave, the person hosting the party came to me and said, please don't leave. We act differently when you're here. What? Your presence in a godly fashion has an impact on what's happening. If you you enter into the debauchery, you're doing nothing. But when you stand and you can be happy and have a good time without compromising your faith and your religion, that's a powerful thing, and people see it. This is not a license to have friends that draw us away from God. That's not what we're talking about here. Oh, just have a bunch of wicked friends. No, the Bible says friendship with the world is enmity with God. We know that. We go into it with that. We're we're not compromising. We're not getting loose with the way God has put on our heart that we should conduct ourselves. Jesus was on mission. This was under his terms. So what do you do? He saw them, and then he pro- he taught them, and he proclaimed. Jesus proclaimed, verse 35, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He just didn't go and have a great time with them. He told them the good news. People who are in misery, people who are down and out, they're often receptive to the good news. More than that God can pay your bills is that God will save you from your sins. That's the gospel of the kingdom. I don't care how wretched you are. God has mercy on you. That's what Jesus preached, the kingdom. And then, verse 35, he addressed their needs. Didn't just tell him God loves you, go clothe and be fed. No, he did something about it. It says that he healed every disease and every affliction. Now, we may not have the gift of healing like Jesus had there, but we can do things for people. We can give them some money if they need it. We can do acts of service. God calls us to do that. I remember a time where there was this person that was down and out and needy. And I went over to visit and their toilet was broken, their toilet. So I fixed their toilet for them. The impact that that had, it was so obvious that someone cared enough to do a menial little stupid thing like fix a toilet. Maybe God's calling you to fix a toilet or rake somebody's yard, or I I don't know. But we need to be willing to act, not just say words, they're good, we need to say words, but then do something. It takes mercy to a whole new level, meeting people where they're at. But sometimes, Matthew 23 37, he says, I looked over and I said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how often would I gather you? But you would not. Sometimes people will reject the mercy. They did it to Jesus himself. But that shouldn't stop us. We shouldn't relent When we have a setback and they will not, they take our good uh, efforts and our good intentions and they stomp on them. That's what they did to the Messiah. That's what they did to Jesus. That's what some of us did to him early on. We don't relent, he didn't relent. So I hope that this morning God has helped us to understand what mercy is. It's it's a heart. it's It's a feeling that God has toward us and that he expects us to have to his people. He wants us to know without a certainty, unequivocally, that we have received tremendous amount of mercy. And because of that, he's calling us to have mercy and especially those hard cases. Uh, that's a little too much. Nope. That's all the more we lean into by the help of God and he'll help us. Thank you for listening to this latest sermon. For more Prof. Church, check out our YouTube at Prof. Church Lancaster. Follow us on Facebook at Prof. Church Life, on Instagram at Prof. Church, or visit our website, profchurch.net. Thank you for listening and be sure to make it a great day.